0: Oh, it has been a long time. It's good to be back here with you all. It's, uh, it's good to see you. I always love coming over here. You guys have got some new stuff since the last time I was here, some new lights. I told First Service, I was kind of mesmerized by those. It like, do you, Anybody here remember the light bright from when you were growing up? I was sitting there the whole time thinking, that looks like my light bright from when I was a kid. I wanted to make some shapes or something. Hey, I wonder how many of you are familiar with the word of the year. Anybody here ever track the word of the year? Surely some of you have heard of this. Every year, various groups decide which words were most influential on culture, and then out of those words, they pick one word that's going to be the word of the year. So here are some of the words that they've chosen in the past. In 1992, it was this word, not. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that? That was really annoying, wasn't it? It basically just meant just kidding. Why couldn't we have just said just kidding? I don't know, but it was not. That was the word of the year in 1992. In 2006, we were introduced to this word, Plutoed, which meant to be demoted or devalued as happened to the former planet Pluto. So if you lost your job or your girlfriend broke up with you in 2006, you got Plutoed. Okay? 2009, the word of the year was tweet, tweet, which most of you know is a short message sent via the messaging system Twitter, or as my wife once called it, the tweeter. Uh, That's a true story. Also in 2009, in the most unnecessary words category uh, was this one, sea kittens. Sea kittens, this was PETA's attempt at rebranding fish uh, to make them seem more adorable and less edible. Let me use this one in a sentence for you. Would you prefer your sea kittens fried or grilled? (laughs) Would you like to have your sea kittens with some hush puppies? Uh, we've got some pictures of some key sea kittens. There's a beautiful sea kitten I caught in Canada one time. That one was delicious. I think we got one other one up there too, don't we? It's just some real nice sea kittens there. So uh, here's the one though that I want us to focus on. In 2013, the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year was this one, selfie the selfie. And in case you've been living in a cave, a selfie is a picture taken of one's self. Now, uh, we even now have this, the selfie stick, uh, to help us take selfies. This isn't my selfie stick. I wouldn't have picked pink, but, uh, but the selfie stick, maybe some of you have used these. I wonder today, has anyone here ever not been a part of a selfie? Has anybody here ever not taken a selfie? Been in a, selfie? a couple of people haven't been. Okay, so here's what I want to do. If you're in the wings, I want you to stand up right now. I'm not kidding. I need you to stand. Up right now, everybody in the wings, and I need you to kind of squeeze in. We're going to take a quick selfie, and I can basically get like the 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 last three uh, seats there on that side. Let's take a quick selfie, Genesis Carmel. This is going to be for all of posterity, so you might want to fix your hair a little bit, especially you, Wallen. Yours was looking a little bit crooked when you were up here. For the announcements? All right. We're going to have three seconds. We're going to count it down. We're going to give a big cheese. And then we're going to take a quick selfie here this morning, okay? Hang on. Let me show sure I got everybody. All right. There you are. Okay. Here we are. Everybody ready? I'm going to count it down. Cheese. Here we go. Three, two, one. Cheese. Nobody said cheese except for me. That was awkward. Okay. Good job. Everybody give yourself a hand. You can go back to where you were or stay where you are. Either way. So um, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. He walked on the moon, and we have five pictures total of him there. But you and I will go in the bathroom and take 50 selfies. This is what's wrong with America, folks. In fact, to show how selfie-obsessed we become, I found this article that reported that black cats are now being abandoned by their owners because they don't show up very well in selfies. You can't make this stuff up. Owners are just dumping their black cats so that they can have better selfies. And I'm not necessarily a huge cat lover, but I do need to say I'm a little bit embarrassed for humanity about this one when it's come to this. Now, selfies aren't inherently bad. There certainly is a time and place to take a picture of yourself, maybe make a memory with yourself. Uh, But don't you think it might say something about our self-centeredness when the word of the year is selfie? I think the selfie is really a reflection of a greater issue that's facing our culture. And it's this deeply held belief that my purpose and my meaning in life, my reason for existing, is ultimately only about myself. We all feel this pull to live lives that are focused on satisfying ourselves, satisfying my desires and making myself happy. But this search for purpose and to satisfy self, it's not working. I recently read an article uh, where researchers reported that people putting the greatest emphasis on being happy reported 50% less Frequent positive emotions, 35% less satisfaction about their life, and 75% more depressive symptoms than people who had their priorities elsewhere. We are a culture obsessed with making ourselves happy, but when we make the purpose of our lives our own happiness, it ironically leaves us less happy. Well, we're continuing in our series today, Only Love, as Steve pointed out, and what I want you to see today is that only love can give you purpose. Only love can move us beyond our selfish desires uh, to find a purpose that is more meaningful more life-giving, and more compelling than simply living for ourselves. If you brought your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, if you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you, and uh, if you're using that Bible, this is on page 732. If you don't own a Bible, I want to invite you to keep one of those as your own. This isn't my campus, so you can keep whatever you want. You see something you like, just take it. It's fine. We're going to take a look this morning at a story about a guy named Zacchaeus, okay, and if you grew up going to church or VBS, you know a song about this guy and you know that Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? But if that's all you know about Zacchaeus, well, let me just tell you, uh, there is a lot more to the story. Zacchaeus' name in Hebrew is actually this word, zaka, and zaka means pure or just. Or rightly related to God. But Zacchaeus' life didn't reflect that meaning. Zacchaeus wasn't known for justice or purity, actually, quite the opposite. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And not only that, but he was the chief tax collector. So, what does that mean? Well, to give you a little bit of background, the Roman Empire had conquered all of this area known as Palestine, and it had divided that land into three different regions. And in each region, there would have been a chief tax collector. This would have been a Jewish man who often would have bribed the Roman government for the privilege of holding uh, this position. Now, the Roman government would would come in and they would assess each region and they would determine how much the Jewish people owed in taxes. And then the tax collectors would go out and they would collect that amount. But it didn't stop there because the tax collectors were allowed to tax the people above and beyond the amount that they owed to the Roman government. And this is how you were paid as a tax collector. Essentially, the tax collectors became wealthy by demanding these large payments uh, to pad their own pockets. And among the Jewish people, the tax collectors were absolutely despised. Not only were they traitors working for this occupying Roman government, but they also used their position to cheat and to threaten and to blackmail their own people into overpaying their taxes. And Zacchaeus, being the chief tax collector, not only personally cheated people out of money, but he also oversaw all of the other tax collectors who were cheating people out of money. So do you get a feel for the kind of purpose that Zacchaeus had in his life? It really was all about himself, and it was all about his own pursuit of wealth and happiness. But something happened to Zacchaeus, and we read about it in Luke 19. And starting in verse 1, it says this, "'Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy.' He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So let's pause right there for a minute. Jesus is passing through Jericho, and where is he going? Well, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and this event takes place toward the end of Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, he's walking to Jerusalem for the final Passover, the Passover where he would be sacrificed as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the people. And Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through, and he wants to see him. He wants to see who he is, is what the text says. He's likely heard stories about Jesus and the miracles that he's been performing. He's likely heard this, uh, this kingdom message that Jesus is preaching, repent, the Kingdom of God is near, Uh, but you have to wonder why was Zacchaeus so anxious to see Jesus? Was the selfie life maybe catching up with him? Had his drive for wealth left him feeling lonely and isolated? Was he second-guessing the price that he had paid for this life that he was living? We don't really know what he was thinking, but we do know what he did. Uh, The text tells us that he's vertically challenged. He's short. He can't see over the crowd, so he climbs a tree to get a better view of Jesus. Here's one artist's rendering of what happened that day. You see Zacchaeus. He's up in the sycamore fig tree. He's looking down at Jesus, and Jesus is looking up at him. And we read in verse 5 that Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, come down and meet Immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now notice that Jesus knows Zacchaeus by name. But in verse 3, we read that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. So we can assume that, that they don't know each other. These two have never met before. But don't you wonder, how does Jesus know his name? Did the Father reveal his name to Jesus? Was Jesus specifically looking for Zacchaeus as he traveled this route? We know that Jesus was traveling with his disciples. We know that one of Jesus' disciples was Matthew. And if you know anything about Matthew, you know that he used to be a tax collector too. So certainly, Matthew would have at least known of Zacchaeus, if not even very likely that they were pretty good friends. They would have known each other. Did Matthew tell Jesus about Zacchaeus? We don't know. The the text doesn't tell us, but regardless, here's what I want you to see. Jesus takes time to stop and to notice Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go to your house. And this is amazing to me. I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about all that Jesus must have been going through, as he processed the days ahead of him, as he thought about the things that he would have to endure. If you were able to be a part of our Good Friday experience at one of our campuses, our discipleship pastor, Kevin Russell, did a fantastic job of putting together some notes uh, to help us remember and reflect all of the things that Christ went through on our behalf. And and it was horrible. It was terrible. I mean, just think about what must have been going through Jesus' mind as he considered the fact that he's about to be handed over to evil men who would do evil things to him. They would abuse him. They would torture him. They would mock him and ultimately nail him to a cross to hang and to die. I mean, the thought of what was ahead for Jesus would have been enough to overwhelm any of us. But Jesus doesn't focus on himself. He he doesn't put the focus on himself. His eyes are always up. He's always focused on the Father, focused on being obedient to his word and and to loving the people who are around him. So he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And that might sound rude to you and I in our modern-day culture, but in Jesus' day, going to someone's house and sharing a meal with them is a huge sign of respect. And in this simple act, Jesus is communicating something to Zacchaeus. He's saying, hey, Zacchaeus, everyone else might hate you. Everyone else might look at you and just see a traitor or a piece of trash. But that's not what I see. No, I see a man who's been living for himself. I see a man who's trying to find purpose in things and in wealth. But I also see a man who I created for a much greater purpose. And I love you, Zacchaeus. I want to see you live in to that purpose. And so Jesus, he he goes to his house, and we have to wonder, what did they talk about? What did Jesus say to Zacchaeus? What did he do uh, in front of Zacchaeus? We, We don't really know. Luke doesn't give us any details of the conversation, but we do know this. Whatever happened, it changed everything for Zacchaeus. The late poet Maya Angelou once said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. They will forget what you did. But they will never forget how you made them feel. And I believe that's exactly what happened with Zacchaeus. He felt the love of Jesus, and it changed his life. It changed his purpose in life. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stands up, and he says, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Now, this is actually really interesting, because the Jews had a law about this. If it was ever found that someone had cheated another person out of money then the guilty party would have to return what was taken plus 20%. So so if you cheat someone out of 100 bucks, you've got to give them 120 bucks back. That was the law. But Zacchaeus is now motivated by something bigger than the law. And he declares, I'm going to give back four times what I owe. Not 120%, but 400%. Not 120 bucks, but 400 bucks. This coming from a man who made a living out of stealing from people. But something in his heart has changed. Zacchaeus woke up that day and began leading a selfie kind of life. But he encounters the love of Jesus, and he comes out with a heart overflowing with generosity and a brand new purpose in his life. Zacchaeus finally began living into that name, just, pure, rightly related to God. It was who he was meant to be. And then Jesus responds in verse 9. He says this. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And I want to make it very clear that salvation did not come to Zacchaeus's house because of this generous declaration, as if those words could have somehow earned his salvation. No, rather the declaration that Zacchaeus made was evidence that salvation had come to his house. When Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of your life and mine, there ought to be some evidence. Some things are going to change. I heard it said this way one time if, if you were ever put on trial for your faith, if you are ever put on trial for being a follower of Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What would your friends say? What would your spouse say about you? Do, you? do you think like Jesus? Do you more and more act like Jesus? Do your words sound like Jesus? Is there evidence that salvation has come to your house? I want to just very quickly show you three things that the love of Christ changes, or at least that it should change when salvation comes to our house. The first is this. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. You are given a selfless mission you're given a selfless mission. Christ's love changes our purpose. It changes our mission in life. When Jesus Christ comes in and salvation comes to you, you are given a new mission and that is to love the way that Jesus loved and to tell others the good news of what he has done for you. Jesus' final instruction before he left this earth and ascended back to the Father is found in Matthew 28 and he says this. He says, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you. This is the new life mission for all who are in Christ. Your purpose, your mission is to go and to make disciples, to use your time and your resources and your energy telling others about Jesus and what he's done for you and teaching them about his word and to be obedient to it. And I have to believe that this is what Zacchaeus spent the rest of his life doing. We don't know that for sure. In fact, we never hear about Zacchaeus again in the scriptures. The only picture that we have of him is right here in Luke chapter 19. But I think that he was changed in such a way that his whole life was now focused on Christ. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he commits to do it before Jesus. You know, as a a pastor... I meet with so many people uh, who are just confused about what they're supposed to do with their lives. I'm talking about Christian people here. Should I stay in this job or should I take that one? Should should I marry this girl or is there going to be maybe another one? Should I stay here or move there? Should I do this or do that? And most of the time, I don't have a great answer for those kinds of questions. But I do know what God's will for your life is. And I know what his will for my life is. It's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It clearly says that God's will is this, that you would be sanctified. And that word simply means that you would become more and more like Jesus Christ. And then Matthew 28.18, that you would go and make disciples. And if you're not doing those two things, becoming more like Christ yourself and helping others to know and to become more like Christ, then all of the other questions about your life really become meaningless. Because they are secondary to this primary purpose that Jesus has given us. And remember, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all those other things, they're going to be taken care of too. But the question this morning is, what are you seeking first? What's first? Jesus' love transforms us from selfish to selfless. And it gives us a selfless mission. No longer are we pouring our time and energy into just selfish pleasures. Why? Why would we live that way? Well, because love also gives us a selfless motive, a selfless motive. John tells us that since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is our motive for selfless living. Since God so loved us. We can't keep this to ourselves. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are motivated by the love of God who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. He was man as God intended man to be. He was perfect. He was sinless. And he died a death that he did not deserve so that you and I could have a future free from the hell that was most certainly before us. And no longer are we motivated by these selfish desires because God did not spare his one and only son. We are now motivated by his love for us. But how do we do this? Like, What does this even look like in our lives? Well, in his great love for us, God also gave us a selfless model. A selfless model. Jesus Christ modeled for us what it means to live with a selfless mission and a selfless motive. And listen, if there was ever anyone who deserved to live selfishly, It was Jesus Christ. I mean, he was God incarnate, God in flesh. And yet Paul tells us in Philippians that though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in his life and in his death, Jesus modeled for us what it means to live selflessly. You know, my mind keeps going back to Jesus on that road, uh, traveling through Jericho. and, And I just have to be honest with you, it doesn't make any sense to me. There's no reason why Jesus should have noticed Zacchaeus that day. Looking back, you know, no one would have blamed him for just being completely focused on the journey ahead, completely focused on the, on the suffering and the torture and the death that was ahead of him. But even on this road leading toward death, Jesus was selfless, and he interacted with this man in the tree, and it changed everything for Zacchaeus. And I wonder today, has Jesus' love changed everything for you? Has his love changed your purpose? And I mean in a crazy way, like in a, I used to steal from people for a living, and now I'm just giving money away, kind of a way. Has his love had that kind of an impact on your life? I want to share a story with you as we're wrapping up this morning. that It reminds me that Christ's love is still radically changing people today. It's a story about a normal person like you and me. His name is Pastor Jong-Rok Lee, and he serves a church in Seoul, South Korea. Pastor Lee grew up, as all of us did, searching for purpose, and he tried to find it in his abilities, he tried to find it in work, he tried to find it in alcohol, but nothing ever satisfied his longing for more. But then he met Jesus, and everything changed. He was given a new purpose in life, and after he became a Christian, the Lord opened Pastor Lee's eyes to a very real problem in his country He saw a large number of people who could not take care of their infant children, and so they were just abandoning them on the streets to die. So Pastor Lee did something about it. He created a baby box as a way to save unwanted babies. Instead of abandoning these precious children, people could now safely leave them in Pastor Lee's box, and he and his church committed to take care of them. There's been a whole movie created about Pastor Lee and his baby box, and I want to show you the trailer for that movie this morning. Check this out. The baby box is South Korea's first and only box to collect abandoned infants. Hundreds of unwanted babies are abandoned on the streets of Seoul, South Korea every year. The tragic loss of life moved to Pastor to set up a way for saving unwanted babies. 위험함 속에서 벌어진 아이들이 있고 또 길거리에서 그래서 이제 데뷔 박스라는 것을 만들게 됐고 그리고 정말 안 자랐습니다. 빨리 빨리 어떤 아이들은 목사님 이 아이하고 죽으려고 약, 약 탔습니다. 약 예. 네, 그러지 마라. 그러면 너도 오고 애기도 와라. 길이 엄마의 엄마의 끈입니다. 제 아들을 부탁드립니다. 찾지 말아 주십시오. 죄송합니다. 정말로 죄송합니다. 이게 길이. 이 길이. 이 길이. 이 길이. 영어 이름은 네. 빅토리. <웃음> 빅토리, <웃음> 빅토리. 그래서 그 아이들이 이 세상에 필요 없는 존재들이 아니고, 하나님이 써시고자 했다고 표현했었어요. 여기 이제, 네 가정에 20명이라는 그 아이들이 좁은 몸 안에서 많이 살고 있으니까, 그런 공동체가 다른 것은 아버지, 어머니가 있기 때문에. 하지 않는 일, 버려질 수 있고 또는 나라에 사지 않고 있는 이런 일들을 하시는 just really They're just human beings. Just like anyone else. They have the right to live. 이 문제가 한국만의 문제가 아닌 이제는 아마 세계적으로 이 아이들이 이렇게 밖에 아이들이 많으니까 but these children, they're helpless. They're voiceless. Who's going to speak for them? 이 아이를 보내면서 사랑이었습니다. Isn't that incredible? I want to encourage you to see that movie and listen to to the way that the Lord has used Pastor Lee's life. But but even more than that, I want to ask you this morning, what does God want to do with your life? What's he want to do with the the moments and the days that he's given to you? So here's the thing, if we just keep on living selfishly, if we just continue pursuing our own happiness, we'll never know. We'll never know what God wants to do through us. We'll never know what he could have done for his glory and for his kingdom. I hope that you see through the story of Zacchaeus and the story of Pastor Lee that God calls ordinary people into his extraordinary mission all the time. He calls people out of their pursuit of self and into selfless living for the sake of Christ. And that can be your story too. I want to show you this picture that we took earlier, this, uh, this selfie that we took, and uh, there's my big chrome dome in the front, but uh, there's some people getting a little bit excited there in the back. That's good. You know, when I look at that picture, though, I don't see a selfie. What I see is a group of people who could become a movement for the kingdom of God, a movement for the kingdom of God, a group of people motivated by the selfless love of God on a selfless mission. People who believe that it's not just about satisfying ourselves, but about sharing Christ's love with everyone that we come into contact with. And I want to ask this morning, will you join us on that mission? Will you join us? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to invite you to to bow your heads and close your eyes. And um, I want to just give you a moment to, to reflect and to respond. I realize that for some here this morning, maybe you've never even considered that there's another way to live a cause greater than yourself. And maybe today's the day when you lay down the pursuit of self and you invite Christ to be the Lord of your life, you can do that today. You can do it right now. You can pray a prayer something like this. Father, I realize that I have been living for nothing more than myself. And I'm beginning to realize that you have a greater purpose for me. And while I don't have all the answers and I certainly have a lot of questions, I'm ready to surrender today. I'm ready to begin living life for you. I'm asking Jesus into my heart today. And Father, I'm asking that you would help me look more and more like him each day of my life. For others here this morning, maybe you've invited Christ to be the Lord of your life, but some selfish pursuit or selfish desire is keeping you from living on mission for Christ. What is it? What is it that's keeping you from living in Christ's mission? Whatever popped into your mind when I just said that, that's probably it confess that to the father surrender that to him this morning and father we do come before you and and we admit that it is so easy for the things of this world to distract us god the material things the wealth of life father help us to fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal would you help us focus our hearts and our minds on christ father help us to keep our focus there And we get so easily distracted. Forgive us for that, Father. But we just come back to you this morning and we say that you are the only thing worth living for. Our lives are an open book before you. We ask you to take the pen and to write the story of our lives however you see fit. That's what we want Genesis Church to be about. That's what we want to be known for. That we are a people just with open hands asking you to fill in the blanks, God, to fill us with your purpose. Find us surrendered to you in this, Lord. We love you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you all to stand, and we're going to close out singing one last song this morning.